Um, <clears throat> last time we had Wednesday night service, um, we started going over this um, state of theology survey from Ligonier Ministries and talking about that. Um, I just wanted to take a brief uh, break, I guess, from the confession, um, especially since we, as deeply as we went into that last chapter, I just thought it would be good to go over this. One, to give us a little bit of a break, but then also um, because I thought it would be good to kind of get an idea of what we're dealing with in, particularly in our nation, because um, this is focused specifically on the United States population. Um, <clears throat> so we started going over that uh, last time and discussed a few things, um, some good things, mostly troubling things. Um, so I just want to kind of pick up where we left off. Um, so I'm just reading this straight from the uh, survey. It says, The State of Theology survey has been conducted every two years since our first U.S. survey in 2014. Survey results over the past eight years reveal that Americans increasingly reject the Bible's divine origin and more readily embrace sexual behavior that is condemned in Scripture. So first we're going to consider... The Bible. <clears throat> I think this is wonderful that we're going to talk about this tonight because our Sunday school curriculum made it very clear that the Bible is our foundation. And if the foundation is destroyed, everything else comes crumbling down with it, right? So I think it's, uh, especially since that's what we're studying in Sunday school, pretty appropriate that we would talk about that tonight. Um, <clears throat> the survey says this, U.S. adults increasingly reject the divine authorship of the Bible, relegating it to the same category as other religious writings and purportedly sacred texts. This view makes it easy for individuals to accept biblical teaching that they resonate with while simultaneously rejecting any biblical teaching that is out of step with their own personal views or broader cultural values. Um, there was a reading this, there's a story that I once heard uh, that comes to mind, uh, and it was Jesse Ventura. Um, yeah, the, the wrestler who turned into the governor of Minnesota and then has gone on to do some kind of TV shows. I don't know, I didn't really follow him that close. But anyway, Jesse Ventura. And I remember, I don't know why I was watching an interview, uh, or he was being interviewed, but I remember watching it, and he was talking about, I believe it was Muhammad Ali, I think. And uh, he said that he was in Muhammad Ali's living room. And in this living room, uh, I want to say he said they were encased or something like that. But anyway, sitting up there on display right side by side is the point here. You had one side, you had the Bible and the Quran. Okay? And Jesse Ventura is talking about why can't it be that way? Why can't we have peace? You know, that, that's the way to be right there is just, we live all in harmony and uh, each person can have their own truth and so on and so forth. <clears throat> so I see a lot of sh uh, heads shaking, <laughs> and rightly so. Um, but the thing is, I think that actually captures the majority view in the United States. I think he's very much in the majority uh, when he says things like that. Um, so I think that's kind of what the uh, survey 
is capturing uh, and what they're trying to get at with what they're saying here. Of course, uh, by the shaking heads, and I'm thankful for that, um, we know that's not true. Like it, it might be a nice little sentiment uh, where it sounds really good. Oh, we're all at peace, and it's not true. It's based on a lie. Um, and again, if the foundations be shaken, the rest of the building comes crumbling down. So if the foundations a lie, somewhere along the way, the building will fall. Um, survey says, the Bible, however, is a unified message from the one true God. As such, it is to be embraced in all its fullness as God's perfect revelation to humankind. We must conform our lives to Scripture rather than twist Scripture to suit our lives. Um, I do have a couple passages I want us to look at uh, on this. <clears throat> first, uh, first, second, uh, Peter, chapter 2. Excuse me, chapter 1. I don't know why I said chapter 2. <clears throat> and we're going to pick up in verse 16. So Second Peter, chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 16. Alright, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we... He's talking about the apostles. Peter, of course, being one of these apostles. Uh, we were eyewitnesses of his, Christ's, majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. He's talking about the transfiguration. Um, it would have been the sons of thunder and Peter, right? We had three witnesses to this. Um, and, of course, Christ was transfigured, and God the Father actually spoke to them from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Hear Him. Okay, so Peter was an eyewitness of this. He heard with his own ears the very voice of God the Father. But then he says this, And we have something more sure. The prophetic word to which... You will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's Peter saying, even more sure than what I heard with my own ears and saw with my own eyes are the Holy Scriptures that we possess. <clears throat> He's very clear to say, uh, yes, this may have been spoken by men. It was written down by men. It was. But men who spoke from God, men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, such that their personalities were very much present in the writing. But it was God speaking through that. So we cannot take the Quran 
which contradicts this word or the Book of Mormon or any other supposed sacred text and put it up beside the Bible because it's not the same thing. Uh, All of those texts ultimately are man-made. They're not God-breathed. Which brings me to the next passage. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. pick up in verse 14. So this is Paul talking to Timothy the elder, encouraging him. And he says this, starting in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred Writings. That's significant. It wasn't the sacred tradition. It was the sacred writings. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says this. All scripture. That is a particular category of writing. It is an exclusive category. Um, He's not talking about anything but the writings that are in this category. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So the only thing we have with us now That is, God breathed the very words of God are the sacred scriptures. That's not the Quran. And that's not the Book of Mormon. That's not the Bhagavad Gita or whatever else you want to bring up. That is the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. I love that he preserves it. does Um, and it's really interesting how he does Um, the truth is there are more manuscripts by a long shot Uh, there are more manuscripts of the Bible than any other writings of antiquity and it's not even close Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey don't even come close No, they really don't. Um, But there's much less attempt to um, undermine those. And there's a reason for that. Uh, There's a lot more weight behind Scripture than, uh, well, really any of them. I was going to just say the Iliad, but any of them, uh, any of the ancient texts, um, this is going to carry more weight because it is God-breathed. Whereas those things... Uh, are helpful, they're good to know, to read, um, certainly 
think it's a good thing to read other writings. They're helpful as long as they're read through the lens of Scripture. Um, Indeed. <laughs> um, so this was the statement that was actually put to those participating in the survey. Okay. Um, this is the U.S. adult finding. So this is all U.S. adults, not just evangelicals. The statement is, The Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but it is not literally true. 53% agree. I'm actually surprised it was that low, to be honest with you. So when was this survey done? Uh, this year, earlier this year. Oh, dear. Really well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, it's kind of crazy that I'm saying this, but the good news is it was only 53% said that they agreed. Um, let me go ahead and read this next part. Uh, the heading is secularization. It says, The Bible reveals to us God's purposes and requirements for human relationships and sexuality. God created humans as male and female, and he instituted marriage, a covenant, covenant, right? <laughs> a covenant relationship between one biological man and one biological woman. That's messed up. We're having to actually put that in front of those words. Anyway, as the only appropriate place for sexual activity. So, just clarification. Um, sex is a good thing, a gift from God, if used properly. It is a horrible thing when we in our sin take it and use it any other way than God intended. That's true of a lot of things. Um, so, in general, I think we need to be able to stay in the lines of orthodoxy and not go off in too much of a law-keeping sort of, okay, and I'm not just thinking of sex here, I'm thinking of substances, right? Um, substances. Um, all of the substances that are here, God put here, right? And it says... When God created, he saw that it was good. In our sin, however, <laughs> we pervert God's good purposes and misuse things. So that could be sex, that could be alcohol, that could be the internet, that could be television, that could, I mean, pretty much anything you name, actually. We could say, uh, in and of itself, it's not bad. And in fact, if it's used properly, it's good. But if we, in our sin, misuse it, well, it's sinful. Um, but anyway, that was just a rabbit trail. Um, it says, despite Scripture's teaching on God's will for human identity and sexual ethics, U.S. adults increasingly affirm the right of an individual to choose his or her own gender identity despite one's biological sex. The surveys from 2016 to th uh, 2020 showed this view holding steady. Pretty much the same percentage... Actually, it's exactly. Now I'm actually looking at it. So 2016, 2018, 2020, same percentage every year. 38% agree. Not now. Mm -mm. Not now. 
2022 survey revealed that it is gaining traction. We have a right to determine our own identity. That's what it amounts to. Uh, To say that we can determine our own identity, uh, I will say, now this is not a matter of, okay, we have no choices whatsoever in in who we are. It's not what I'm saying. Okay, it's not what I'm saying. Uh, But there's a difference in, and I'm going to use this for an example, there's a difference in me saying I choose to be a foster care case manager in my employment and... I choose to be a white, heterosexual male. See, I I don't... Those are very different choices, okay? Um, The first thing I would say is... The first thing, of course, is a profession, okay? It's work we do, right? And quite frankly, that's not my identity. I can quit that job and I'm still the same person, right? However... (laughs) Um, I did not choose to be a male. God identified me as a male. Okay? Here's one that may be more controversial. I did not choose to be heterosexual. Um, homosexuality is not an identity. It is an action. Nobody is inherently homosexual or Fill in the blank with whatever other sexual you want to say, okay? Um, we don't say that uh, this action you did, uh, you stole something, your identity is a thief. Your action causes you to be identified as a thief, right? That's not who you inherently are, though. That's what you do, okay? Or if you want to put it on the other side, right? Uh, let's say you're doing a righteous act, right? Um, Thing, but well, actually, working a job, right? That's a righteous act, but that's not who you are, it's what you do. Well, it's the same thing with uh, sexuality, okay? God made me a man, and since He made me a man, He made me to be with a woman. <laughs> um, this is God's design. The other thing about this is. This is also God's creation. And he, as the creator, has the right to make it how he will. And with him being all wise, he made it the best way it possibly could be. God's good design and gender ultimately glorifies his name. So anything that goes against that is a shot at God. Unfortunately... That's becoming less and less popular to say. (laughs) Um, The statement was, gender identity is a matter of choice. 42% agree. U.S. adult population. (coughs) Additionally, more and more Americans take the view that the Bible's commands against homosexuality are no longer applicable in society today. While there has been some variability, 2022 reveals an overall increasing secular trend over the years. I don't think that's really any surprise. Um, 
The statement was, the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. Uh, that went up 6% from two years ago. Two years ago, it was 40%. Now it is 46%. U.S. adults agree. I'm being honest with you. I'm still surprised it's that low. <clears throat> because the truth of the matter is, uh, even if it's apparently a minority uh, position, it is certainly the dominant position uh, in terms of controlling resources. Um, so I, I was actually surprised how low that was. Uh, now, obviously, this goes back to, in the beginning, God created them male and female. They complement each other, okay? Um, actually, I do want to go to something. Genesis chapter 2, if y'all don't mind, real quick, to indulge me with this. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. I want to read something about that real quick. <clears throat> so, where do they get the people they poll? How do they do this poll for this survey? It's a random sampling, and I don't know exact. I don't know if they called them or emailed them. I don't know. Their demographics would be interesting. It's supposed to be as random as possible, uh, to or, or as evenly distributed also as possible. I don't have the demographics in front of me, though. Not all evangelicals, though, right? No, 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 no. This is just U.S. adult finding. Yeah, no, this is not, this is not evangelical at this point. Um, okay. Uh, picking up in verse 18. So Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So up to this point... From Genesis 1-1 all the way to this verse, we've seen God created and he saw that it was good. God created and he saw it was very good. We've seen that over and over. Everything that God created was good up to this point. Okay? But then we read this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. The very first time we hear those words and it's even before, that's prior to sin. It is not good that the man should be alone. This is something inherent in who we are as humans. Because, again, this is before the fall. So this is not a matter of sin, right? Um, the state of being. Uh, yeah, actually, yeah. It's, it's part of our state of being, right? It is inherently not good that the man should be alone. That does not mean it's wrong to be celibate. Okay, that's not what that means. But there's a reason that that is referred to as a spiritual gift, to be celibate. Anyway, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit or corresponding to him. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, or again, corresponding to him. 
So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last. See, the man understood his condition was not good. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, now, this is cited by Christ uh, as the ideal for marriage later on. Okay? And this is spoken before sin enters in. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother. A covenant relationship. And hold fast to his wife, a new covenantal unit. And they shall become one flesh, which of course eventually produces offspring. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is part of God's good design. So anything that goes against that, number one, is arrogantly spitting in God's face saying, I know better than you, God. I know who I am better than you, my maker, knows. But then also, beyond that, it's going to have negative, uh, negative implications for the person. Mm-hmm. Not just in breaking the relationship with God, which is, of course, the worst and most obvious thing, but it has negative uh, impact on their development as a person, as a human being, because they're not following God's good design. That, I mean, that naturally leads to death in the end. Well, much research has been kind of coming out about this hormone suppressants and mm-hmm. hormone therapies and that have not ever come out as a positive. Um, well, <laughs> I just heard some more study this week also, um, a current advertisement from Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. for it, yeah. and it was disgusting. Yep. It was disgusting what they were promoting and putting on the radio for kids to hear. And TV. Yeah. And posters. Mm-hmm. It was disgusting. <clears throat> so I have another passage on this that I want to read. Um that pretty well, I think, describes what we're dealing with here. Romans chapter 1. Starting in verse 18. 18. You know what? Actually, I'm going to back up just because I want you to see this contrast real quick. Let's start in 16. Um... Really, what is in 18 and follows is the main point I want to make, but there's a contrast here I want you guys to see. Uh, Okay, Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay, that's pretty relevant based on what's going on here because the trend is to be 
what is actually abominable in God's eyes and should be shameful is what's being promoted and what should be honorable is becoming shameful. Air quotes. But he says, as we should say with him, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. All right, this is what I want you to see. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. See that? The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. From faith, for faith, as it is written, the uh, the righteous shall live by faith. So the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. But then check this out. For the wrath of God is revealed. (laughs) See that contrast? (laughs) The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The reason they have to make us shut up and go away is because they know, in their heart of hearts, they know we're right. And it's not because we're special. It's because we're just saying God's thoughts after Him. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's the God we serve that they hate, and it's His truth that they're suppressing. But it goes on to say, For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's obvious. I mean... We're only pointing out the obvious. <laughs> um, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So it begins with idolatry. Pride and idolatry. Twin sins. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to, do, uh, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So, so far we're talking about idolatry, but see how it's tied to the sexual stuff here. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable, shameful passions for their women. So the fact that the women would do this like the men doing it is bad, but the women doing it is just unspeakably bad. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. You see that? Receiving in themselves. The very act itself is God's wrath. They're punished by their own sinful act. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then it goes on to talk about all kinds of sins beyond this that they were committing. Now, that's talking about homosexuality. But we've gone beyond that yes. to the point of saying no. Um, uh, I am a transgender woman with a transgender man. 
Or I'm just binary or yeah. non-binary. Non-binary. Or pansexual, whatever. I'm just whatever, whatever right. floats on by. I, now, I'm not pointing this out to bash those people. No, no. I want to be clear about that. I'm not trying to bash them. What I am saying is these people are in danger. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against them. And their foolishness. And their foolishness. So, we got a job to do. <laughs> right? Um, this, is, this is gaining traction. All of this stuff is gaining traction. The reason it's gaining traction, in my humble opinion, which, you know, that's not scripture. It's, I could be wrong. The reason I think it's gaining traction is because the church is afraid to say something about it. Same where they had a transsexual in a church. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, we have transsexual pastors. Yeah. And, it's, and, it, and, and I'm not merely meaning to just pick on this sin because this is a... Once we've got to this point, like there was, there was some stuff that happened to get us here. Oh, yeah. It didn't just happen mm-hmm. overnight. Once so this has been an time. extended period of Leniency. not hanging on to the gospel where the righteousness of God is revealed, right? But instead, either getting sidetracked on something or maybe just being more worried about inflating our baptism numbers or whatever the distraction is, uh, be it fear or fame or selfishness, whatever it is. Or blending in. Yes, all of those things. I don't think we can just point to one thing. I think it's a lot of things, but regardless, I don't think the church in the United States has been doing its job as a whole. Yes, I agree. So. A lot of this that you're saying is happening now at, like, the Methodist churches. Absolutely. Um, so my brother is a member at, here in Bremen, so y'all mm-hmm. pray for that church. Absolutely. They're they're voting to that's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, um, and actually yes. So when there are brothers, even if there's theological disagreements, like Methodists, certainly we would have disagreements with Methodist theology. But I would still say uh, those who are faithful to orthodoxy, those are our brothers and sisters. We should right. pray for them. Yeah. We absolutely should, especially if they are going to take a stand for biblical ethics. Um, even more so though. I do think we should make a stand for biblical ethics. Mm-hmm. But let's get back to making a stand for the gospel. Yes. <laughs> um, what, that, what that entails is confronting people with their sin, but also trying to give them the remedy. Right? We don't want to just beat on people and say, oh, you're just horrible because of your sin. Their sin's different than my sin. Okay? They need the same gospel that I need. We are the ones who have it. If we don't tell them, how are they going to get it? That, that's kind of my point in trying to say all this, is uh, things are getting worse right now by all trends and measures. But it doesn't have to be that way. Um, we have the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. We gotta share it, you know. And the church has been long ashamed. We, we should be sharing the gospel anyway. Absolutely. The state of this country, where it's at right now, there's an entire book here that 
Yes, they have. Okay. And God is the one who delivers. And that is where we need to really keep our focus in worship and worshiping and looking at Him. He's the one who delivers. That's right. And that's what that's the gospel. That's what we need to be sharing. That's right. We don't need to be go working ourselves out of this. We don't need to be picketing. We need to be keeping our eyes on Christ. Amen. That's what we need to be doing. Amen. Because he's the one that delivered. All through this book, every time Israel went south, he was the one that delivered. Every time. Every time. That's right. When they yeah. came knocking on Lot's door, it was God who delivered them. So it's not... Um, It's not political involvement, no. which... Okay, I don't even think it's as bad as it's... I, I think it's been this bad before in history. I don't think we're at the worst point. Well, no, so I don't think we should... Flood. We shouldn't look should <laughs> that way, That's right? actually a good point. We, we really <laughs> should just... You can't get much worse than that. Right? Yeah. That's, you know, that's actually a very good point. So no, I, I do agree. Uh, certainly it's... So we're 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 so we're we're focusing on the bad kind of yeah. right now. Yeah. But I actually do agree with you. This is not the worst point no, in history. No. Because on the other side of things, there are more professing Christians in the world today than there ever have been. Right. Yes. Okay. It's not all bad news. Now we're kind of just focusing on the U.S. right here, right? Yeah. Well, and this is a we have a more global mindset. A weeding out too. We just read it in, in Romans. It's judgment. Yeah. Exactly. It's judgment. That's it. It's a judgment. Uh, be thankful that we're not under that <coughs> condemnation and in that judgment. Oh, yeah. Because we could just as easily be oh, carried yeah. away like any of them. We're not any smarter or brighter or better than they are. Amen. We have God. That's all we have that, we, that they don't have. Okay. We're not better no. or smarter. That's it. And yeah. we need to, and like you were saying, we need to keep our eye on the prize. I am not saying political involvement is no. a bad thing. No, no. Be involved. I'm yeah. telling you, be involved. Yeah. But, but stand. Stand on the truth. That's, that's a, well, it's a secondary, it's a secondary consideration is my point. Uh, be involved. And the church should have a prophetic voice to the government. Yes. Okay. I'm not saying we should just stay out of politics. I, I know a lot. that's a very popular thing. A lot of the church needs to stay out of politics. I don't believe that. But I do believe that politics shouldn't be the main thing we're doing. Okay, The gospel, yes, the gospel is the main thing we're doing. That's what's the power of God unto salvation. Uh, our involvement in politics should be to the extent that we're trying to advocate for righteous principles to be inculcated into our laws. I, I mean, scriptural principles. That's our involvement in politics. That's a, that's a good thing. We should do that. But however, we it's, have seen how legislative morality has corrupted the gospel. Yeah, well, it happens in the Old Testament when they have a Yes, that's what I was going to say. The law... It goes back and forth. The law doesn't make us righteous. No. That's the problem. The law is there to uh, point out our sin, yeah, to be a tutor. It's mm -hmm. to drive us to Christ because we understand, oh, wow, I really am a horrible sinner. Uh, it, once we are saved, it is to uh, help us know, okay, we're saved. Now how shall we live? I mean, it's there for all of those reasons. But no, uh, we cannot, 
what, it, what it's normally meant by we cannot legislate morality, I think, is we can't make people righteous by legislating morality. I think that's what's normally meant by that term. And if that's what's meant, amen. Um, now, if you're saying you can't legislate morality in the sense that legislation shouldn't be moral, that's impossible. All legislation is moral. Okay? Um, so it... I mean, it depends what a person hearts. means. But you're not going to change people's hearts by writing laws. That's not at all. Not at all. You can make them look good, but they're still going to be You box people um, in with the, with the law, but you can't make them righteous. That's right. Now, it can be a restraint on evil, and, and I've heard R.C. Sproul use this uh, analogy. So let's say the speed limit's 55, right? Okay. Now everybody's going 65. But if it wasn't for the speed limit being that, everybody would be going 85. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think that was a good analogy. All right, uh, let me move on to the next thing. All right, it says um, the 2022 survey results for U.S. evangelicals. Now we're talking about those claiming the name of Christ. Uh, The result for U.S. evangelicals reveal concerning trends related to the exclusivity and deity of Jesus Christ, the historicity and divine nature of Scripture, objective truth, That one's pretty infuriating to me. Gender identity and homosexuality. At the same time, encouraging trends include evangelicals' increasingly biblical views on abortion and sex outside of marriage. In other words, we've done a really good job preaching about how abortion is murder, and it is. And we've done a really good job of trying to tell people that sex outside of the union of marriage is wrong. We've done a good job of that. Maybe not so good on telling them who Jesus is. <laughs> Gospel first, then law. Um, okay, first first topic, God. It says, key to orthodox Christianity, little o orthodox Christianity, is Jesus' own assertion that he alone is, quote, the way and the truth and the life. And that, quote, no one comes to the Father except through Him. Trends over time, and the 2022 survey results reveal an increasingly unbiblical belief among evangelicals that God is pleased by worship that comes from those outside Christian faith. The statement is this, God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. So the Abrahamic religions, they just focus on the Abrahamic religions. 56% of evangelicals agree. In the word evangelical is the term evangel. The evangel is the good news, the gospel. So over half of the people claiming the name of the gospel say, you don't have to have it to be saved. Yes, it is. Because up to this point, we've been talking about the world, so of course they act like pagans. They are. (laughs) These people are not supposed to be pagans. Um, (laughs) I'll just remind you. um, Y'all know the story of Nadab and Abihu? Strangest one. 
What happened when they tried to offer their own worship? They went well for them. Right. Um, not only did they die, it very clearly says God killed them. Right, and it happened. First, right out of the box, the situation is that uh, they were just uh, trying to make up the uh, uh, the incense for. That's right. Uh, I mean, that was the first time. That's right. And basically, that's how that's how uh, uh, adamant God was that uh, He wasn't going to accept that. But basically, He didn't give them even a shot at. uh, at trying to do it again, basically, it was the first rattle out of the box. So, and they died. So, therefore, we do hold here to the regulative principle of worship, which says that you worship God how God says for you to worship God, mm-hmm. and that's the only way you worship God, because it's God's worship, and He gets to determine the right way to do it. Well, that's why, and that's why Cain was mad at Abel because God accepted his work that's right. the way he told him. No, that's to. right, that's right. And he killed his brother. Now, here's the primary thing I want to get to out of this, though. God has said the only way to him, the only worship that is acceptable to him, is worship that comes by way of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Judaism and Islam reject the historical Jesus Christ. Judaism outright says he was a liar, he was a false messiah. Islam tries to say he was a prophet, but he was not the Christ. It's not the historical Jesus. So, any worship that they offer outside of Christ, that's not just them, that's anybody. Uh, that's even people that might try to claim the name of Christ. Any kind of worship that is offered that it is not by way of Jesus Christ is not acceptable worship. Um, I would read another passage on that, but I mean, we quoted John fourteen six. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. So, uh, and again, I... I'm not wanting to come off like looking down my nose at these people. I'm really concerned about these people. And we should be concerned about these people. Because I'm sure they believe the worship they offer is acceptable. Uh, But believing something doesn't make it true, right? Okay, this year's survey also revealed a significant increase in evangelicals who deny Jesus' divinity. Such a belief is contrary to Scripture, which affirms from beginning to end that Jesus is indeed God. Um, there are passages upon passages. Um, those, I think most of you, if not all of you, were here when we went over the Trinity. We read a lot of those, God's Son. Uh, I just want to look at one tonight. Uh, John chapter 8. I'm not going to read this entire long conversation. I certainly recommend it to you. I believe we read it when we were going over the Trinity. Um, Jesus is having a conversation with the Jews. Okay? And uh, he's telling them that 
he can set them free. And uh, they say something along the lines of, uh, well, we're Abraham's children. How could you say we're not free? He says, no, uh, you're in bondage to sin. And um, so then they, you know, they don't really like that. And so they start trying to make fun of him and say he was born out of wedlock and all kind of commonly repeated lies about him. And uh, he says, no, uh, if you were Abraham's children, then you wouldn't be talking about me this way because Abraham looked forward to seeing my day, actually. And you're actually your father, the devil. And that's why, you know, you, you love the things of the devil. And so they have this back and forth, right? But then uh, he tells them Abraham looked forward to his day. So then picking up in verse 52, it says, The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Abraham's the patriarch. Nobody's greater than Abraham because we're all his sons, right? Um, this is a patriarchal society. The father is at the top. Nobody's greater than Abraham. So it would be unthinkable to say that. And they keep on going, and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Here we go. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly. In the Greek, that's amen, amen. He's amening himself before he says this, okay? To bring this into a Baptist context. <laughs> He says, Amen, Amen. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you go, oh, well, what's the big deal there? The Jews knew what he meant. And this is how we know the Jews what he meant. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They picked up stones because he claimed deity. Jesus did say he's God. And the Jews knew it. All right. Um, the statement is this. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 43% of, of professing evangelicals agree. Almost half of those claiming the gospel. I'm going to tell you something. If Jesus is not God, there's not a gospel. There's no good news. We are still in our sins if Jesus is not God. We can play this game too long. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try to get this one in before we close. <clears throat> the heading is truth. It says, embracing the reality of objective truth is necessary to a right and proper understanding of the world. Scripture affirms that God is truth. And because the Bible is His Word, Scripture is truth as well, which we've kind of already gone over. Despite the testimony of Scripture, evangelicals increasingly believe that the Bible is not literally true. The statement is, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not literally true. 26% of evangelicals agree. 
lower than most of the other things, but still, y'all, that's a quarter of those saying that they, that by name, they profess that they are adherents to the gospel. But what gospel? Because they don't believe Well, I think obviously there is a disconnect between the etymological meaning of evangelical and the practical claiming of the name. I imagine the majority of people claiming that probably have no clue why they're called evangelicals, if we're being honest. Um, it says a rising disbelief in the Bible's literal truth may help us understand why American evangelicals also increasingly believe that religious faith is a subjective experience rather than an objective reality. You have your truth, I have my truth, we all go to heaven. You know. It says religious belief, here's a statement, religious belief is a matter of personal opinion. It is not about objective truth. Here's the thing, it's either true or it's not. Um, 38% agree. So. But you can't argue with these people. Well. Well, of course not, because truth is subjective, so they can have their truth, and you can have your truth, but you're not changing their truth. Because this is my aunt we're talking about right here. The not thing about it is... Evangelical, but that's, she's a religious person, and she, she believes her truth. The thing about that Jesus is, though... Jesus thanked his father for hiding these truths from the wise. Yes. That's the thing. So we still confront it. Well, yeah, we confront it. We tell them the truth. Because the thing but, is... But you can't get mad at them. No, you can't. You, you can, I, I don't get mad at my aunt. I just oh, I used to her. get mad. Well, it's the same thing that we just read. See? Well, it's the same thing we just read. Being yeah. wise in their own eyes, they became yeah. fools. Yes. And, and it's absolutely you, foolish to say I can have my truth and you can have your truth. Um, That's not how truth works. But, I'm sorry. But, but when... When salvation becomes ultimately your choice, yeah. yes. then this has got to be the or, end that it gets to. That is or the, when it becomes... It when it, Everybody has their own truth because I can choose whatever I truth yeah. I want. Or I when it becomes I choose my identity. My identity. Yeah. Yeah. See how those go together? Absolutely. Yeah. I choose <laughs> I'm a girl or a boy. Uh, I mean, if if I if I can identify as something I'm not in terms of sexuality, why can I not identify as something I'm not in any other area? See, all truth ultimately is God's truth. That's the thing. That's the heresy with the choosing your salvation. Yeah, that's it. And the thing is. Yes, we do make choices. We do choose to follow God. But why? It's because God did something first. Uh, I love the way that Jason puts this, but our chooser was broken and he fixed it. <laughs> like, okay, God did something to change my will. Now I will rightly. Yes. No, I still argue with him, but I know he's right. <laughs> I'll go with that. I'll go with that. Yeah. I'll go with that. All right. Um, there's still a little bit left on this, but we're pretty well out of time. So um, I'm just going to stop right there.
Uh, I will be out next week. I'm not really sure if I'm going to pick this back up when I get back or if I'm going to go back to the confession. or I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, right. Bring your confessions with you regardless. Um, the Lord will lead you. Yes. Um, this next part of it is sexual ethics. I will say this. Um, for those of you that are on the Facebook page, I did post the link to this. Okay, so if you want to go and try to look at some of the demographics or something like that, uh, I posted the website on there. If you're not on the Facebook page but you want it, like you, yeah, I will send it to you. Just tell me you want it. I want okay. it. Okay. All right. <laughs> Brian wants it. All right. That's fine. Um, all right. Uh, anything else before we close? Okay. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father in heaven above, uh, we do thank you again that you've blessed us to be together as your people tonight and to talk about some really somewhat difficult things. Um, certainly we are thankful that we have your word, we have it in our language, and we're able to check all of these things against your word to see whether they are true or not. Um, help us to take full advantage of that blessing. It's really not been the case for the majority of history that the regular everyday Christian has a copy of the Word. So help us to not take it for granted. Help us to live in and by this Word. And that way we can test the things that the world around us is saying to know whether they are true. Lord, we know that a lot of the things around us are not true. Um, and we pray that you would give us the strength, the courage, the wisdom uh, to stand up against the forces of evil. Um, we pray that you would help us to fight not uh, the people that we come in contact with that hold to these false ideologies, but rather help us to fight for them. Uh, we pray that the end result would not just be that we win an argument, but rather that you would win their soul and help us to take that seriously because if you don't, they're really going to face your wrath, um, your eternal wrath, not just temporal wrath that's taking place now, but your eternal wrath. I pray that you would impress that upon our hearts and our minds and that that would spur us on to do something, to say something, and then to trust you to save them because we know ultimately... We're the means. You're the one who saves. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.